serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, brother. I want to invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start there and then we're going to end up in the passage that he just read for you in Mark chapter 10. And uh, so you're welcome to turn to one or both of those places. And uh, we just want to welcome you. We're glad you're here worshiping with us. Um, I had a couple of notes here uh, while you're finding your place there in Philippians. Some things to mention. At the top of my notes here, it says, Embarrass Nico. Uh, my my uh, son Nico is 16 today. It's 16th birthday, so make sure you give Nico. He would love a big wet kiss and a hug from everybody here. So you're welcome, buddy. A couple other things I just want to make mention of. First of all, hopefully you got a chance to come to the dinner theater. I mean, if not, I'm, it's too late. I'm sorry, um, but. I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped uh, bring it together. We had a lot of volunteers. I know Steve already mentioned this. We just had a lot of folks uh, here helping throughout the week, in the weeks leading up to it, helping build the set. And then it was, it was encouraging to have so many folks here at the end. I know anytime you have a big event, at the end of, end of it, a lot of times everybody's just tired and, you know, zapped. But it was so encouraging to see so many folks here helping uh, put the chairs back and get things back in place. Uh, and it was really, truly a blessing. So we want to say thank you. We also want to let you know um, on, um, on Christmas Eve, as you know, Christmas Eve is a Sunday. We're having uh, our, our morning service at 10 o'clock. We're having an evening candlelight service. Uh, uh, I, believe, I believe it's at 7. It's in your bulletin. Um, but in the, during the morning service, we're going to do something kind of fun. We have a couple of young ladies that want to get baptized. And so rather than wait to summer, we said, let's, let's, let's do it on a, on a special day and just make a memorable Christmas Eve service. And so if, you, uh, if you're interested, we've got, got a couple already lined up, but if you're interested in being baptized, if you're a follower of Christ and you've never done that, uh, give us a call at the office this week, and we want to uh, let you know uh, how you can be a part of that, and we'll, we'll chat and uh, talk a little bit more about it. But if, you're, if you'd like to, we're going to do it right here in the service. We've got an uh, inflatable hot tub, and we're going to just have a, a, a baptism service and a time to remember and, and honor uh, that, that faith and that commitment. Um, and then finally, on a, on a more serious note, I just want to ask you to be in prayer for, um, for Sharon Birch's family. Uh, Sharon, is, is her cancer and her illness has continued to just get worse and worse. And um, the family, along with, along with Sharon, made the decision to go on hospice. And so she's coming home and is going to spend her final days with her family. And I just, Sharon is such a prayer warrior in this church. And uh, it would just be an honor, a way to honor their family by being in prayer for them uh, during this time. Um, we know Sharon just has such a deep faith in Christ, and, and, and she knows that she's going to go be with Jesus. But uh, I know her heartfelt prayer is for her loved ones, and, uh, and so uh, just, just be in prayer for the, the Birch family in these days. In fact, before we open up God's Word together, I just, I just want to pray for Sharon and the family. Our Heavenly Father, our, our hearts are heavy at the the, the quickness at which the, the cancer has progressed and um, just, just saddened. Sharon is such a, a precious part of our church family. Um, constantly, constantly praying and interceding for those in our midst and even people she doesn't know. Um, Lord, what a blessing she's, she has been to us. And I, I pray, Father, that you would surround that whole family with your grace and your mercy and your kindness right now. And may they, may they just know the love of Jesus in a profound way. For Rod and the, and the kids, uh, just may they, may they sense 
your presence in these, in these heavy days, um, and, and may their hearts be directed to Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we, as we spend um, a few moments here together opening up your word, we, we ask that you would, you would speak to our hearts. God, I know that there are, there are others who have come in here with great burdens and, and heaviness, maybe, maybe just the stress of the season, or maybe illness, or uh, dysfunctional uh, family issues that are, are weighing down, that come to the forefront during Christmas time, whatever it might be, Lord, uh, may our hearts be nourished by your Spirit as you speak to us through your Word. May you strengthen us, may you convict us, may you encourage us, speak to us in the way that our hearts need to be spoken to this morning, and, and, and give us ears to hear as we open up the Word together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we continue to unpack Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is such a, a beautiful hymn that we didn't want to just gloss over it. And it's, it's so fitting here at Christmas time that we, we put the spotlight on this precious text. And last week we got a little deep talking about some of the, the theological issues behind uh, what, it, what it meant for God to become human, for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. We talked about the incarnation of the Messiah. And, and, and this week we're going to look at the humility of the Messiah because the, the, the whole reason Paul brings up Jesus in this beautiful hymn at this point is because he is exhorting them to humility. We saw that in verses 1 through 4. He's calling them to get along, to, to be together in purpose, to not live in selfish ambition or conceit, but to consider one another, one another as more important than yourselves with a spirit of humility. And so now he turns to Jesus as the example, the supreme example of humility. And, and that's, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is at his very heart. He didn't just come to this earth and somehow flip a switch this temporary humility switch for his 33 years on earth. Jesus, in his very core, is, is humble in nature. He says this to us in this precious verse in Matthew 29, or 11, 29, when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His humility was not simply present at his birth, but in everything that he said and did. His, his whole life, his very nature is wrapped up in a spirit of humility. And in, in Philippians chapter 2, we see that in verse 7, it says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. We said last week that that phrase, emptied himself, it didn't mean that he, he gave up his divinity, but rather he, he, he became a, a servant in, in such a way that he, he made himself of no reputation, as one translation render it, renders it. Jesus truly came to serve. That word servant is the word we've already mentioned. It's, it's the word doulos. It's a bondservant. Jesus' whole life was characterized by this others-centeredness, this love that poured itself out. Paul Reese has said this. He said, don't forget, cries Paul, that in all this wide universe, in all the dim reaches of history, there's never been such a demonstration of self-effacing humility as when the Son of God in sheer grace descended to this errant planet. Remember that never, never in a million ages would he have done it if he were the kind of deity who looks only to his own interests and closes his eyes to the interests of others. He goes on to say, you must remember, my brothers and sisters, 
that through your union with him in living redemptive experience, this principle and passion by which he was moved must become the principle and passion by which you are moved. Jesus refused to use the rights of his position as God to his own advantage and came to serve. And, and we don't just read about his example and step back and say, oh, that's nice, that's, 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 that's cool. It's not a piece of artwork in a museum that we go and observe and then walk away. Jesus' life is to be entered into and followed. This is the very nature of who God is. I love how N.T. Wright puts it. He says this hymn reveals what Jesus is truly like, but also what it means to be God. This decision was not a decision to stop being divine. It was a decision about what it really means to be divine. This is the very nature of God, this self-giving love that pours itself out. And, and, and that's what we're called to. Verse 5 of Philippians 2 says, adopt the same attitude as, as Christ Jesus. We don't just observe his example, but we enter into his life and are called to put humility into action. Now, I'm the kind of guy who, I, I really like stories and illustrations. I don't, I don't just like abstract ideas. Be humble is, is kind of an abstract idea. And so if we're saying that Jesus lived this out, if this characterized the way he was and what he taught and the way he lived, we will be able to see it in the Gospels. And so that's why I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10 for the remainder of our time here. And, and as I was reading this passage, I realized that this this whole chapter, from about 13 onward, has a great deal to say about humility. And so what we want to just do is we think about the example of the Messiah. As we think about the example of humility that we're called to follow, let's just look at it a little bit in action. And, and I want to make note of five things that I saw here that sort of describe the humble heart. And the first one is this. The humble heart is childlike. The humble heart is childlike. In, in verse 13, we read this story that I, you probably are familiar with. There's going to be several of those stories here that are going to be familiar ones to you. And it says in verse 13 that people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus pointed the disciples to the attitude, the, the spirit of these kids. And, and he said, listen, this is how you come to the kingdom of God. You don't come with all the answers. You don't come with it all figured out. You come with this simple trust and faith. Think about how, uh, how, how just the beauty of uh, your young children and how, how precious it is when they just have that simple trust. They simply believe what you say. They, they, they cling to your words and they, and they cling to you. Uh, think about those nights maybe the, the electricity goes out and your little one wanders in and asks if they can cuddle with you. They're, they're, they're scared in that moment. They just implicitly trust. They believe they're, they're coming to you, mom and dad, because there's a safe place. They, they feel, believe, believe there's refuge there from the darkness. That, 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 just that simple faith. 
What they don't know is that we're scared too. I mean, the Wi-Fi is out. It's terrifying. The humble heart is childlike. Listen, if, if we, Jesus says here, if, if we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, we need to come with this simple trust, believing him. I realize that that's easier said than done sometimes. It, but it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Jesus calls him, calls us to trust him just like a little child, to just simply believe what he says and to cling to him. If we want to be people of humility, it, it begins with a simple faith, a simple trust in Jesus. But the second thing that we see about a humble heart is that it's a welcoming heart. The humble heart is a welcoming heart. And we're, before we move on from this story, there's more to say. Because what's happening here is that people begin to bring their kids to Jesus. Now, something started this. Maybe someone saw Jesus with a little kid, and they're like, look, he's, look how gentle and caring he is with kids. And so people were bringing children. And the disciples, they were sort of in bodyguard mode. And the disciples were like, who's bothering with kids? Like, and it's hard to enter into that first century mindset because we, in our culture, we love kids. We dote on kids. We spoil kids. Sometimes we, we go a little too overboard in making our lives about kids. But over, in the first century, it wasn't the case. They were useless, the kids. They weren't good for labor. They weren't bringing in income. They were just a, a, a source of, like, they were negative value. They were taking and they weren't giving. The kids were not held in high esteem in the first century. And so these disciples were like, why is Jesus wasting his time with them? There's powerful people. There's people with money who can give to the ministry. There's, there's movers and shakers. That's who we need to be spending our time with. And so they try shooing the kids away. And Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And as I read that, I just couldn't help but picture the welcoming heart of God, the gentleness of God, the open arms of God. In fact, verse, verse 16 says, after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. And I wrote down here in my notes that God is the kind of God who takes us into his arms. He's the kind of God who welcomes us close. He doesn't hold us afar off. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't wait for us to measure up or to clean ourselves up. He's the God who, who longs to draw his children close. That's who he is. And in a humble heart is a welcoming heart. A humble heart that, that follows in the footsteps of God longs to welcome others. I love what Romans 15, 7 says. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. What a picture. We welcome him because he has already welcomed us. He didn't begrudgingly accept us, roll his eyes and say, fine. But he has welcomed us into his family. He's the kind of God who embraces us and pulls us near. Some of you, some of you will go places at this Christmas time and holidays where you're, you, you know you're welcome, where it feels like home. Maybe it even is your childhood home. You go back to your parents. The kind of place, you know, where you can put your feet on the coffee table and nobody cares. You don't have to ask to get in the fridge to root around. You're just, you're just, you're, you're at home. You're welcome. 
Some of you are like, I, I can't even do that in my own house. Like, what, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> this is the idea that, that, that Jesus portrays throughout his life. He, he, he's, he's the kind of God who, who doesn't prohibit people, who doesn't hold people back, who doesn't say, yeah, you, but not you. All right, you, you got your act together. Or, or you got a really good job, and I know you got a lot in the bank account. Come on in. He's the kind of guy who welcomes people who have nothing to offer, nothing to give, who come with simple childlike faith. And God calls us to have that sort of heart, a humble, welcoming heart. The third one I want to point you to is that the, the humble heart is generous. The humble heart is generous. The next story that we encounter here is, a, again, a story that you're probably familiar with. It's a story that we, we know of as the rich young ruler. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing, but in a snapshot, if you're not familiar with it, this guy comes to him, he's got money, he's young, he's powerful, and he's, he's self-confident, and he is sure he's got his act together. And he knows he's close to eternal life, and he just wants to make sure he's in. And, and, he, and he goes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the law. And he's like, I've done it. I am squeaky clean. I'm good to go. And Jesus, of course, knew that wasn't true because none of us have. And he wanted to get to the heart of this man's idolatry and sin. And he knew this man loved his money. And he said, okay, go, give, go sell everything and give all that you have to the poor. And the guy's like, what? Are you kidding me? And he walked away. He said, I'm out. If that's what it takes, I'm out. And we've preached on this before. Jesus wasn't saying you've got to sell everything to get saved. What we do have to realize is that we have nothing. We offer nothing. We, we, we come with nothing but our sin. And this man wasn't there yet. He wasn't broken and humble. But we see here as Jesus goes on to talk about, he kind of processes the whole situation with the disciples in verses 23 through 31. And he, and he he wants them to know that, listen, in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, in order for our heart to be where it needs to be, we need to be generous people. Verse 23, in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus here draws a connection, I believe, between humility and generosity. Because it's, it's, it's the, when we're generous... It, we're aware that, that I'm not at the center of the story, that life is about Jesus, that anything I have, money, possessions, time, or whatever that looks like, any of my resources, it's all from God for God's glory. And when, when, when we get that about our stuff, we're on our way to a place of humility because we recognize it's not about me. It's not about getting, getting, getting. It's not about my investments, my 401k, and building this, going on that trip, buying this. It's about, God, what, what do you want me to do with this that you've blessed me with? How can I be generous? And, and that's an overflow of a humble heart that knows that they're not the center of the story. And it's about God and his glory and blessing others. Some of you get this, and some of you are, are really good at this, and you know what it's like. My wife has taught me so much about this. You know what it's like to have the joy of giving. The math doesn't add up for me. I've told you that before. The more you have, like 
The more stuff, the, the happiness should increase with it, right? It's not Jesus' math. The more you give, the more you, you pour out, the more joy you get is the way the, the kingdom of God math works. The happiest people you'll ever meet are people who are humble and generous with what they've been blessed with. A fourth indicator of a humble heart is that a humble heart is sacrificial. A humble heart is sacrificial. Jesus goes on uh, in, this, in this passage, and, and uh, probably, probably these events aren't all taking place in one day, but Mark is written in a very fast-paced style that you could get the feeling that it all takes place in one day. But uh, James and John were chatting one day, and they said, teacher, we, wanna, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Verse 35. <laughs> that, should, that should just be an indicator. Like you could already see the other, other disciples sort of like, what? What's coming next? It's like, your, it's like your kids. You ever had your kid come up to you like, I'm going to ask you a question. You just need to say yes, all right? Can you tell me ahead of time that you're going to say yes to whatever I'm about to ask you? Every parent in the right mind sees red flags and danger going up. Like, okay, this is, a, this is about to get silly. Like, I'm, yeah, right. I'm not an idiot. But Jesus is much more gentle than I can be sometimes. And so he, uh, he's like, go ahead. <laughs> and uh, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. And they, there, I guess there's a way of looking at this that, say, that says, hey, we just want to be close to you in heaven. But Jesus' response indicates that there was a ton of pride here behind their request. And there was a ton of self-centeredness. And, and, and so Jesus, Jesus rebukes them. And he's like, that's, that's not for you, to, for you to get to weigh in on. That's, that's not up to you. But, but he goes further, and he says in verse 42... He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles load it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Well, we understand this. People who have power tend to be people who are very proud, very arrogant about it, like to, like to wield it. Money and power often go hand in hand. This is the way of the world. Nothing's changed since the days of Jesus. Verse 43, Jesus says, but it's not supposed to be this way among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. Again, here's math that doesn't add up to me. You want to be first, Jesus says, be last. And he says this over and over and over again in the Gospels. You want to be exalted? You want to experience the Father's blessing? Then take the low road. That's the way there. It's not through the way that the world tells you, through getting more power, more money, more fame, and then letting people know that you have it. That's, that's not the way. Jesus said, whoever wants to be first must become a slave. And then in verse 45, he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The very heart of Jesus reminds us that humility will work itself out in a sacrificial way. It'll involve us pouring ourselves out for others. It'll involve setting our needs aside. You see, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 2, we just studied a couple weeks ago, 
He says, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. You see, Paul was not just making this up. He wasn't just riffing on something that he thought would be a good idea. He's taking it from the very message of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself is not up there preaching a sermon that he's not living out. He says, listen, I came. I'm not just telling you, James and John, that you're, <laughs> you're full of yourselves and that you need to live a different way. I'm telling you, I came not to be served. He's God, right? If anybody has the right to walk around and say, serve me, wash my feet for goodness sakes, it's Jesus. And he says, that's not how I came. That's not how I'm living. He at this point had had, had, had at least months, if not a couple years with the disciples to, to back this up. And, and he had lived this way. I did not come to serve, but to uh, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he takes it a step further, and this is what we'll talk about next week, and to give my life as a ransom for many. They didn't understand that part yet. But that was going to be his ultimate pouring out. The humble heart is sacrificial. I'm not here to lay guilt trips or anything like that. I just want to encourage you to go before the Lord and say, God, is this, is this describe my heart? Do I humbly serve? Do I humbly sacrifice without looking for recognition? Without looking for accolades or approval? I, I mean, if I'm just being entirely honest, like that's, that's something that God convicts me from, uh, from time to time. I, I, I kind of like a, a pat on the back every once in a while. That was a powerful sermon, Pastor. Or even better, when somebody puts something on Facebook. It's like, yeah, how many likes are we up to right now? That's great. That's great thought that was a good one. That's, that's, that's not the heart of Christ. That, that's not where, where, where we go when we're supposed to serve. We're supposed to pour ourselves out as Jesus has done. Not looking for anything in return. Not looking for that credit, those accolades. Because the honor is going to come from Jesus himself. And then finally, the humble heart is merciful. The humble heart is merciful. This chapter ends with a story. And so we'll end with this story. It says they came to Jericho. We all know about Jericho, Old Testament, Joshua. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, it says Bartimaeus, this is verse 46, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, without going too far into the, the culture, we recognize and we know from the, that, that time that, that if you had a disability, that you were severely looked down on. We already mentioned kids were looked down on. Well, those who were disabled were looked down on. They were looked down economically. They couldn't contribute to the society. And there weren't a lot of programs. They weren't being taken care of by the government. They were, they, were, they were often left to fend for themselves. And, and furthermore, spiritually, they were often assumed to be bad people, sinners. You remember that one time that the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Different blind guy, same line of thinking, that like obviously this person's a bad person or he wouldn't be blind. 
That was the logic. Remember Job's friends? Even, I went even all the way back to Job. Job, what have you done? Certainly you have sinned to bring this suffering on. Fast forward to Jesus' day, the thinking was still the same. Bartimaeus was considered an, off, an outcast. You didn't look at him. You didn't talk to him. You didn't, you didn't address him. He was, he was a pathetic excuse for a, a human being. That's how he was viewed. And so he's crying out. As Jesus is walking out of Jericho, he's crying out, Have mercy on me, son of David. This was a heart that was humble. This was a heart who was broken. This was a heart that says, I've got nothing. I've got no recourses. I don't have a wealthy uncle I'm waiting, waiting for. I don't, have, I don't have some place to go at the end of the day. i got nothing. Which, by the way, is why God often brings us through suffering and trials. Because it's the only way our proud hearts will ever get to the place where they need to be in order to accept Jesus. This man didn't have a problem with pride. He was broken. And he says, have mercy on me, son of David. In verse 48, many warned him to keep quiet. There were those who were with Jesus. It doesn't say the disciples, but I could imagine, given their track record with the kids, that they were among the group of people who were like, just shut up already. You're annoying. We can hear you above all the crowds. You won't stop. And I'll tell you what. Some of, us, some of us can get this. We've been in those places where people who are in need have gotten under our skin. Anybody else here ever get annoyed by people? You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to. We don't have to all be honest here, but I'll be honest anyways. And so There are people that at times that get under my skin, and, and, I, and I don't treat them the way that I should. I want them... I want them out. You, know, you just don't want to deal with it in the moment. You're like, yeah, come on. You're annoying me. You're being too loud right now. You're, you're being too needy. Whatever it is. That's, that's what these followers of Jesus were saying to this man. Jesus stopped, verse 49, and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage. Get up. He's calling for you. So some of them changed their tune. He threw off his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. The joy, you can feel it from verse 50. And Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said, I want to see. He just, he was straightforward. He humbly brought his request to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and begin to follow Jesus on the road. Jesus shows us that the life of humility is a life that is merciful. There wasn't a listing of why hadn't this man tried to go find a job. He didn't grill him about why he wasn't doing any better for himself. He just simply had mercy. He had compassion on this man. So often when we're confronted with these scenarios, we list off the reasons that we can't help, or we, we, we imagine the scenarios that about what they've done to get themselves in this place, and we, our heart just immediately goes to the, it starts with a no. Just like these people. Just shut up already, man. You're being noisy. Our, our hearts can do the same thing. They can go to the good grief, just go away right now. But Jesus' heart 
He moves towards those in need. Jesus' first reaction toward the sinner in the suffering is always one of moving closer. Jesus never recoils when he sees someone in need. We didn't read it, but in the story of the rich young ruler, there's a, there's a beautiful, beautiful statement in, in verse 20, back in verse 21. This man is, is standing there as proud as could be, as arrogant and self-righteous. I have kept the law. The audacity. And we know that there were times when Jesus shut the Pharisees down. In this situation, he, he approached this man differently. And even though this man was full of pride, there was still something in his heart that, that, was, that was still seeking, still wanting to encounter Jesus. And this rich young ruler, verse 21, says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. <laughs> Jesus' heart was moved with compassion, even towards the arrogant, I've got it all together guy. That, that's the heart of humility that God calls us to. See, it's one thing to talk about humility, and then when we, we put it down in like everyday nitty-gritty circumstances, it, it gets kind of convicting. Because all of us, if we take two seconds, we can think of someone that we probably tried to avoid so at some point this week. We saw their phone call coming in, and we rolled our eyes like, I can't do that right now. We saw them down the aisle in the grocery store, and we quick moved along, hoping they, they didn't see us. They're inviting us to that gathering that we don't want to be a part of. Or they work next to us in the office and we just like, oh, I can't see them one more day. And Jesus, his heart, his heart moves towards that person. Our prayer needs to be, God, give me that heart. It begins with, God, I don't, I don't have that. I don't want to see this person. I don't, I don't. I don't care about that situation. I don't want to intervene here. I don't want to be involved in this. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to answer this phone call. I don't want to see that person during the holidays. Whatever it is. And Jesus said, listen, if, if you're going to come after me, you, 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 you need to take on my heart. Take my yoke. He says, I am, I am lowly and humble of heart. The great news about all of this is that um, there's even mercy for our lack of humility. There's even mercy for our unmercifulness. That's a great good news about the grace of God. Because none of us, not one of us is going to leave here and perfectly practice humility like Jesus did. We can't read Philippians 2.5, adopt this same attitude and be like, all right, he says adopt, I'm going to be humble. We're not going to get it right and we're certainly not going to get it by resolving to grit our teeth and get it right. If you turn back to Philippians 2, he laid that foundation in verses 1 through 4 that he says, listen, it's in Christ. That's why we're looking to him because not only is he is our example, but he's our very life. We need his humility in order to be humble. We need his mercy in order to be merciful. We need his grace in order to be gracious. We need his gentleness in order to be gentle. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. 
It comes from him, not from me. As we cling to him with that childlike faith, as we cast ourselves upon him every day saying, God, I, I'm, I'm broken and I, I, my heart is so filled with pride and I can see here and here and here where pride tried to read it, rear its ugly head. And God, I don't want to be that way. I want to come before you confessing that I long to be a person of humility. May that be our prayer. Let me just close with this. There's a beautiful phrase in verse 49 that we, we just glossed over. In the story of Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus, Jesus responding. When Jesus called, for his, na- called his name, said, hey, bring him over here. In verse 49, those around said, have courage. Get up. He's calling for you. That phrase stuck with me this morning as I was rereading the passage. Take courage today. He's calling for you. I don't know where you are today on your journey with humility and pride. Maybe, maybe it's something where you're just like, I don't even think about that. I'm, I probably am pretty proud, and I really have just not been aware of that. Maybe it's been an ongoing battle for you. Take courage. Jesus is calling for you. He's not there condemning you. Yeah, you, 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 and you, you've been super proud this week. You should be ashamed of yourselves. No, he's just, he's calling for you. He's calling for you to come back. To turn from pride and to turn towards humility in Him. And even more so, maybe, maybe you're here and you've never, never embraced Jesus. Maybe you know a little bit about Him. You come to church at Christmas time or you've, you've been around church enough that you, you know a thing or two about Jesus, but you've never embraced Jesus through faith. You've never understood His, His work for you upon the cross. We'll talk more about next week. His resurrection from the dead. In the life that he offers, the hope that he offers in him. Take courage. Get up. He's calling you. And if he's calling you this morning, there'll be a few of us up front who would love to pray with you, who'd love to talk to you more about this. Because it's the greatest call you're ever going to get. The good news. That Jesus beckons us into his life. Not only to his example, but to his very life in which he empowers us to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, continue to teach us what it means to be humble. May this not be an abstract concept for us, but may may we truly understand what you're calling us to. God, may we be quick to repent of our pride. We, we, We all battle it, whether we realize it or not, to some degree or another. May we be quick to repent as you convict us of the pride in our hearts. Alert us. Make us aware. Search our hearts, O God. And continue to direct our gaze to the heart of Jesus. Jesus, who is not only our example, but our power for following his example. Equip us in every way. And for those who are here, Lord, that that may not know the life and love of Jesus, may today be the day they embrace him. Now may the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom to capture your hearts for Christ, to comfort your hearts in Christ, and to humble your hearts before Christ.
And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go forth.